following sermon, entitled Zachariah's Vision of the Spirit-Empowered Church, was preached on the evening of April 30th, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah 4, we'll read the whole chapter. The text for this evening sermon will be the first six verses, which, with the focus being on verse 6. This is God's inspired Word to us, His church. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? He answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Thus far we read God's Word. For our text, let's reread simply verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This word of prophecy came to God's people who had returned from captivity in Babylon. You all will remember the history of the nations of Israel and Judah, how on account of their sin, 
God raised up nations to come and conquer them. And specifically, He raised up the Babylonians to conquer the nation of Judah. And when they did so, they carried a small number away into captivity to live in a strange and foreign land. But during Israel's time, Judah's time in captivity, the Babylonians themselves were conquered by the Persians. And one of their kings issued a decree that God's people could go back to the promised land to rebuild Jerusalem. And upon hearing that decree, a man by the name of Zerubbabel led a small band of captives back to the promised land to rebuild the temple. And that was indeed their primary work when they came back. The the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his army. And perhaps you will recall that very soon after returning, they were able to lay the foundation of that temple. But then they began to face opposition so that the work languished and eventually came to a halt altogether so that the foundation of the temple just sat there. It was into those circumstances that God sent two of His prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Haggai came with a word of rebuke. Because the people, instead of building God's house, had been building their own houses. And thus God sent a prophet to say, you have your priorities all wrong. You dwell in these nice homes. You have ceilings above you. And there sits this foundation of God's house. By God's grace, the people responded. By God's grace, they heard the words of Haggai and began the work of rebuilding the temple once again. But God sent not only Haggai to the people, He also sent them Zechariah. And Zechariah's message really complements that of Haggai. Only the focus here is a word of encouragement to spur the people on in their labors. And that word of encouragement came in the form of visions. If you read the book of Zechariah, you find vision after vision after vision. And tonight... We want to look at the fifth of those visions. The vision of the golden candlestick. And how it points to the work of our God by His Spirit to empower the church to fulfill her calling here below. So tonight, let's consider this vision then using as our theme, Zachariah's vision of a Spirit-empowered church. First, we'll look at the vision itself. Second, we will look at the vision's message. And then third, the vision's encouragement. So the vision, the message, and the encouragement. So we come to this vision of Zechariah. It would be good for each one of us to try to have a mental picture of what exactly Zechariah was looking at in this vision. We read at the outset of verse 2, I have looked and behold a candlestick all of gold. And when he speaks of a candlestick, he's talking about a lampstand. This lampstand had a solid base with one main stem rising out of that. But then branching out of that one main stem were six additional stems, three on each side, 
each of which would have branched out and curved up so that you can picture three progressively larger U's passing through the one central shaft so that this candlestick had seven lamps, seven places for the small bowls that would have been on top of each one of those seven branches. That's the idea of a lampstand because remember, they did not have candles like we do with the the wax, but they would have had small bowls that would have held oil, which would serve as fuel, as well as a wick for a burning flame. Zacharias sees a golden candlestick. And he would have recognized this. Because what he's seen is the exact same candlestick that had been in the tabernacle from the days of Moses on and then later in the temple that was built during the time of Solomon. He was seeing that piece of furniture that was a part of the furniture of the tabernacle and the temple. The one that was used to illuminate the holy place. And it was the duty of the priests to make sure the oil in these bowls on top of each of the seven lamps was always had a supply of oil so that the light in the holy place would never go out. So Zechariah sees something he recognizes, but there's more to the vision than just this candlestick. There are elements that he would not have recognized. And that's what comes out when we continue reading in verses 2 and 3. He says, "...and behold, a candlestick all of gold and a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof." So, Zacharias sees somehow mounted above this candlestick a large bowl, a basin, a vessel. And evidently, on the bottom side of this large bowl, there were seven small pipes. Pipes with an opening connecting them up into the bowl that ran down to each of the seven small bowls that were part of this one lampstand, this one candlestick. In addition, Zechariah saw two olive trees. That's verse 3. And two olive trees by it. One upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. And we're told more about this in verse 12 where we read, What are these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? This is a part of his vision. And evidently, Zechariah sees these two olive trees, one on the right side, one on the left, and protruding from these olive trees are two golden pipes which evidently ran from the olive trees down to that one large bowl so that the oil produced by these trees would be collected there. And now if we have somewhat of a mental picture of what Zechariah saw, we can begin to see what's going on here. The two olive trees would have produced a continuous supply of oil. And that olive oil would have ran down those two golden pipes and flowed into that one large bowl, that basin that was somehow mounted above the candlestick. And then from that one large bowl, the oil would in turn run down the seven smaller pipes to each one of the 
lamps that were a part of this lampstand, this candlestick that Zechariah saw so that the point is that the, the candlestick, the lampstand, would receive a continuous, unending supply of oil so that the light of this candlestick would never go out. That's what Zechariah saw. How are we to understand this vision? Well, there are three main elements to this vision. First, there is the candlestick. Second, there is the oil. And third, there are the two olive trees. First, the candlestick or lampstand. That represents the church of Jesus Christ. And we say that in light of what we read in Revelation chapter 1 and following. In Revelation 1, John sees a vision of seven lampstands, seven candlesticks, and there we're told explicitly the symbolism there. So that in Revelation 1 verse 20 we read, the angel saying to John, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches so that the symbolism of the golden candlestick is that it represents the church of Jesus Christ. And what a fitting picture. It's a fitting picture for at least three reasons. One, because this candlestick was made entirely of gold. It's verse 2. A candlestick all of gold. That's fitting because gold is a precious metal. It's one of great value, which points to the fact that the church is precious to our God. So precious, He was willing to give His only begotten Son to die the accursed death of the cross in order to redeem the church to Himself. The church is valuable. And the candlestick points to that very truth. Second, The candlestick points to the church in that it has seven lamps, seven branches. Seven being the number of the covenant. Three being the number for our triune God. Four representing man who comes from the four corners of the earth. And seven is what you get when you bring three and four together so that the number seven points us to the truth of God's covenant. And that is appropriate if we're going to have some symbol, some picture for the church. Because it's the church that is God's covenant people. It's to the church that God says, I will be your God and you will be My people. And finally, the candlestick is a fitting picture of the church because of its purpose, namely to give light. That was the function of the candlestick in the Old Testament tabernacle. It illuminated the most holy place. And so too the church has the calling to be a light in the midst of this dark and sinful world in which we live. For really, the church is made up of those whom God has called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. He's, he's made us to be children of the light. And now we are to reflect His glory His splendor, His majesty to the world around us, letting our light so shine before men so that they might glorify our God. The church's calling is to shine as a bright light in the midst of this world. So the first element of the vision is the candlestick, which points us to the church. The second element is the oil. And the oil 
represents the Holy Spirit. And we can say that in light of the general symbolism that we find in Scripture. For example, we know that the anointing oil that was poured upon various men in the Old Testament was a picture of the Spirit coming upon those men and equipping them for their work. But that symbolism is also established here, specifically in verse 6. Verse 6 is really the key to this entire passage. And there we read, toward the end, I'll just read the verse, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And the key is that Zechariah is being given the, the interpretation. He's being told what exactly he's looking at. And if you go back to the vision, it's the olive oil that serves as the fuel that's going to keep this candlestick glowing. And now, he's told that it's the Spirit who's in view here. The Spirit is the one who empowers the church to fulfill her calling, to shine as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. And really, the church cannot function without the Spirit. In the vision, no oil means no light. And that points us to the truth that no spirit, no church. It's that simple. The spirit is in view here. He's represented by the oil. But now, that spirit is proceeding from these two olive trees. And that brings us to the third element of this vision. The two olive trees which point us to Jesus Christ in His kingly and priestly offices. And we say that in light of the very end. In verse 11, Zechariah asks, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And in verse 14, he's given the answer. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So we have two anointed ones. And we know that in the Old Testament, the anointed ones were the office bearers of the Old Testament church. Men who were prophets, priests, and kings. And in this particular day, there were two main office bearers who stood upon the foreground in the church. Not Zechariah and Haggai, but Zerubbabel and Joshua. Zerubbabel was the civil ruler. And while he was certainly not a king, nevertheless he came from the kingly line. He was a descendant of David. So he represents the kingly office and Joshua was, was the high priest in this day. And because there were two main office bearers who stood on the foreground in the church, there are two olive trees, but the olive trees don't point us to the men, but they point us beyond the men to the one whom, who is the fulfillment of these Old Testament offices, namely Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. That is, He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. And it's especially the priestly and kingly aspects of His office that are in view here. As our priest, He has made the once and for all sacrifice for our sins, paying the debt that we owe. As our priest, He makes continual intercession on our behalf. But He's also our King who came into this world to conquer our spiritual enemies. 
As our King, He rules over us from His throne in heaven. So it's Jesus Christ who's in view here. But the main point is not so much that He's a King or that He's a priest, but that He's the One who as our mediator sends us His Spirit. Because that's the point in the vision. The the two olive trees are the source of the olive oil. And that points us to the truth that Jesus Christ is the One who is who sends His Spirit upon the church. For His obedience to the will of the Father, Christ was given the Spirit as His own Spirit. And Christ is now the One who pours out His Spirit upon the church. Christ sends His Spirit into the hearts and lives of His people. Who in turn empowers us. Who energizes the church to fulfill her calling in the midst of this world so that when we look at the vision, we can see how all the pieces fit together. The two olive trees producing a continuous unending supply of oil pointing to Christ Himself pouring out His Spirit, sending His Spirit upon the church so that the Spirit flows down to us as it were, even as that oil would have flown down the two golden pipes into the one large bowl, and then from the one large bowl down those seven smaller pipes to each of the seven lamps that made up this one lampstand so that the church receives a continuous, unending supply of the Spirit of Christ Himself so that the church is empowered to shine as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. That's what Zechariah saw. And embedded into this vision is a crucially important message for the church. And that the one central message of this vision is found for us in verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the message. And oh, how the church needs that message. The church in the days of Zerubbabel needed that message, and we too need it. First, this message was needed in Zerubbabel's day. And this word did indeed come in a special way to the office bearers of the Old Testament church. It's directed specifically to Zerubbabel. Verse 6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. This has special application for him. As an office bearer in the church, as one who was a leader who stood on the foreground. But yet you can also be sure that This was not a private message to Zerubbabel. This is for your ears only, but it was meant for the whole church. So that while there might be special application for the office bearers in that day, there was a message for the church as a whole. And this message had to do with a word of encouragement for the church in her calling. The calling of that day being rebuild the temple. 
It has sat there for how many years and now it's time to take up the work again and to finish that work. That was the task, the calling that was set before Zerubbabel, but it was not an easy task. It's a very difficult one, in fact. And that was true on the one hand because of all of the opposition that they faced. It's verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. That is, there's a mountain in view, a great obstacle, a hurdle in front of him. And the encouragement is that that's going to become a plain. It's going to become smooth. But nevertheless, the very fact that there's this mention of this great mountain speaks to the opposition that Zerubbabel and the people, God's people, faced in that day. They had enemies. Enemies in the land who troubled them, who made their work difficult. Who went so far as to write letters to the king of Persia asking him to stop the work altogether. And no doubt in light of that opposition, they sometimes wondered, are we ever going to be able to complete this project? But it wasn't just that there was opposition. The, the added difficulty was the church was so small and seemingly insignificant. That comes out in verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? It was only a remnant that had returned. It was a little flock. The others were drawn to a life of ease and pleasure in Babylon and Persia and decided to stay there. So there's a small group that has returned that's trying to not only make a living for themselves, but do this important work of rebuilding the temple. And no doubt they wondered, how can we possibly survive? How can we possibly continue when we are so few in number? And these difficulties underscore the necessity of the message. The church in that day needed to hear, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by My Spirit. And we need that same word too. The office bearers of the church need this same word too. For just as this word came in a unique way to Zerubbabel, so it comes to the office bearers of the church. Who stand on the foreground in the church, who are the leaders in the congregation. Yet it's not just for you, it's for the whole congregation. Even as we, as an entire congregation, have the calling to be a candlestick, a bright light in the midst of this dark world. That as we have the calling to let our light so shine before men, which includes the calling to live antithetically, to be willing to be different from the world around us. This includes the calling to proclaim the gospel far and wide, to be active in missions, in evangelism, in witnessing. This includes taking a a stance against error, defending the, the truth against all that would snuff out the light of the gospel. 
And this includes ensuring that the light is passed on so that the next generation of the church is trained up so that the children grow up knowing the truths of God's Word. All of these are just different ways in which the church is called to shine as a bright light in the midst of this dark world to reflect that glory, that brightness of our God to the world around us. But what a difficult task. For is there not still a mountain of opposition? The church still has her enemies. The devil, the world, who seek to destroy the church, whether it be by infiltrating the church and corrupting the church, by having the church conform itself to the world around, or if that doesn't work, the the world through the devil switches tactics and begins persecuting the church, tries to make the place of the church progressively smaller in this world so that the church feels pressed and squeezed on every side. And added to that, there's the opposition that comes from within. And the sinfulness of every one of us. And I trust my fellow office bearers feel this acutely too. How can I, a weak and sinful man, possibly be used to keep the church shining as a bright light in the midst of this dark world? There's a mountain of opposition. And then there's our smallness. It remains a day of small things. The church is a remnant, a little flock. For the truth of God's sovereignty and our salvation is not a popular message in the world. Thus, faithful churches are few in number and far between. And in light of the mountain of opposition and the fact that it's still a day of small things, we can begin to wonder, how is the church going to survive? How is she going to withstand the onslaughts of the the gates of hell being opened and unleashed upon her? Will not the light of the church simply be snuffed out in a moment? times we worry about the defense and the preservation of the church. And it's on account of these difficulties that we need to hear this message. The message of verse 6. That it's not by might, nor by power, but by My Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Negatively, the message is that it's not by our own might or by our own strength. There's two words that are used there. First, not by might. And might there refers to collective strength because that word might refers to a collection of forces. It's sometimes translated as army. 
So that God's Word to Zerubbabel, not by might, was saying it's not by the combined strength of everyone who has returned from captivity. All 50,000 of them, or however many there were at that point, that's not what's going to guarantee the survival of the church. It's not the strength in numbers that's going to ensure the completion of this building project. Nor will it be the case that you're going to accomplish your work by allying yourselves with uh, the nations around. That's still God's Word to His church today. It's not by strength in number. It's not by trying to ally ourselves with anyone and everyone else who falls under the banner of Christianity, pushing aside our differences and trying to all come together. That's not what makes the church shine the more brightly. It's not by might. Nor by power. There's a second word used. Not by might, nor by power. And whereas might emphasizes the idea of collective strength, everyone coming together, the word power, therefore, speaks to individual ability. It speaks to a man's skill, his efficiency, his resoluteness, his persistence. So that God's word to Zerubbabel was that, Zerubbabel, it's not because you're such a great leader. It's not your work ethic. It's not your skill. It's not your ingenuity. It's not your ability to motivate people. That's not what's going to guarantee the the success of this building project. That's not what's going to ensure the continued existence of this nation over against her enemies. And that's God's Word to the individuals of the church still today, to the office bearers especially. It's not your gifts. It's not your talents. It's not your abilities. It's not by might nor by power so that taken together, not by might nor by power, put those together, what's in view is the very best of what man has to offer. That's the point being made when we read verse 6. It's saying not by human might, not by human power. And did you notice that that message comes out in the vision? What's missing from the vision? There's no man in it. When Zacharias sees this golden candlestick with the bowl, the pipes, the trees, he does not see a worker coming up and setting up this whole apparatus and making sure that it all runs and flows smoothly. Nor does he see a high priest coming up to the candlestick and adding oil to each of the seven small bowls that make up the seven lamps. There's no man in the vision. Even Christ Himself who is clearly in the vision, who's the source of the Spirit in the vision, even Christ does not appear in the form of a man. There's no king. There's no priest. Because it's not by might nor by power. 
No collection of men, as many as they may be, no one man as gifted as he may be, can possibly cause the church to continue to shine as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. So that negatively, the message to the church, it's not on you. But it's entirely the work of the Spirit of Christ. That then is the positive aspect of the message. This is the Word of the Lord under Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power. We've explained the negative and now the positive is, but by My Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Christ poured out upon the church, sent into the hearts and lives of His own. It's the Spirit of Christ who empowers the church to live antithetically over against the evil that we see all around us. It's the Spirit of Christ who moves the church to proclaim God's Word, the truth of God's Word, over against all errors and false doctrine. It's the Spirit who enables the church to proclaim that message near and far, to be faithful in Proclaiming the good news of the Gospel. It's the Spirit who empowers the church to hand down the truths of God's Word to the next generation and then the next generation after that. It's the Spirit's work. And He alone is able to do this because He's God. It's the truth of Scripture that the Spirit is not somehow inferior to the Father or to the Son. He's not subordinate in any way, but He's co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son. Anything and everything you can say about the Father and the Son with regards to the attributes of God, they apply just as equally to the Spirit. And two of those attributes are worth mentioning in particular. One, He's almighty. And the other is He's infinite. The Spirit is Almighty. And what a comfort that is because as the Almighty One, He is therefore able to strengthen, to empower the church. He is the Lord and Giver of life. He's the One who takes dead sinners and makes them alive again. And therefore, He is able to cause the church to continue shining as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. But out of that, He's infinite. There's no limitations upon Him. And does that not too come out in the vision? In the vision, this candlestick, this lampstand, is receiving a continuous, unending supply of oil. The oil is never going to fail. It's never going to run out. Which points us to the Spirit. who after helping the church year after year does not begin to feel drained. He never feels exhausted. He's never spent. Because He's the limitless, infinite God of heaven and earth. And by His work, He will ensure that the church continues to shine 
as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. And is that not the message of encouragement that we need? Because that is indeed the application that flows from all of this. When we consider the vision and the central message, the end result is encouragement for the church. And while there are many things that could be said here, I call your attention to two things. First, something negative and then something positive. The encouragement for us tonight from a negative point of view is that the light of the church will never be extinguished. You can, you can be sure that's what the enemies want. That's what the enemies wanted in Zerubbabel's day. They were not just interested in interfering and tampering with the work of rebuilding the temple. They wanted the Israelites out of the picture. They hated these captives who had returned and taken up this land again and they wanted them destroyed. But our God would not allow it. He would not allow the light of the Old Testament church to be extinguished, to be snuffed out by her enemies. And He would not because well, the Messiah had yet to come. See, there's more at stake here than simply the rebuilding of a temple. What's at stake here in this history is nothing less than the salvation of the church as a whole. For if the enemies in the days of Zerubbabel are able to conquer, to defeat, to annihilate the church in that day, the Messiah would not have come. So that no Zerubbabel means no Christ. And because God would not allow that promise to fail, He would not allow the light of the church to be snuffed out. He defends His church. He preserves His church. And He does it still today. Oh yes, there are enemies. And it seems the opposition is only growing. It's becoming more and more intense. And we feel that even as a denomination. Have the Protestant Reformed churches ever been under such attacks as they are today? Talk to the older saints who lived through 1953 and they say even that does not compare to what we have gone through in the last five years or so. But Christ will not allow His candlestick to be extinguished. By His Spirit, He will empower, enable the church to continue to burn brightly that's the encouragement. And that's just the negative. What He's not going to allow happen. But there's also the positive encouragement that Christ by the power of His Spirit 
will strengthen and equip the church to fulfill her calling in the midst of this world. That was the encouragement for Zerubbabel. The task set before them was the rebuilding of that temple so that there could be that place of worship again where God's people would gather. And the whole point of this message was encouragement to Zerubbabel. It's going to happen. Notice verse 9, for example. Verse 9, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house His hand shall also finish it. It's stating explicitly that in Zerubbabel's lifetime, this building project will finally be completed. Its success is sure. And what an encouragement to Zerubbabel and the people. What a weight this lifted off their shoulders. They could go forward in the work with confidence. Now certainly this did not mean they could be lazy, step back and just expect the the temple to just sort of build itself. Not that. They were still required to be faithful, to labor diligently, but they could labor with the confidence that by His Spirit, God would see to it that there was success. And there was. That's what we read in The book of Ezra, Ezra 6, verse 14, and the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they builded and finished it. The work was completed. That is, not by human might, not by human power, but by the Spirit, God ensured that the church was able to fulfill her calling in that day. And He will continue to do the same still today. We went through very briefly various aspects of our calling that fall under the banner of shining as a bright light in the midst of this dark world. And the encouragement for us is that the Spirit of Christ will so strengthen and empower the church. So that it does not depend on us. Office bears, it does not depend on you. And praise be to God, it does not depend on me. It's His work. And now that does not mean we can be lazy. It does not mean we can step back and expect the Spirit to work apart from means. But it does mean that when we bring the Word of God, when we go about our labors, we can labor with the confidence that the Spirit is at work. And because it is His work, therefore it's His glory. That too is a part of the vision No man in the vision means no one here gets the credit. But instead, all praise, honor, and glory belongs to our God and to the work of Christ through His Spirit to empower His church to shine as a bright light in the midst of this dark world.
Praise be to His name. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for the encouragement of Thy Word. Apply this Word unto our hearts. And give us trusting hearts. We pray especially that Thou wilt comfort and encourage the office bearers of the church. And we pray that Thou wilt help us to labor with confidence. Trusting the power of Thy Spirit. Forgive us, Father, of our sins. And hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.